0: Welcome to the latest Fox Rothschild podcast. Today, we'll be talking with Catherine Wadwani and Mark Harley in Pittsburgh. Our topic is workforce management, the H-1B cap season for employers. And it's based on a recent webinar, which Catherine and Mark presented. Catherine co-chairs Fox's Firmwide Immigration Group, and Mark is a partner with the group. Together, they practice exclusively immigration law, representing clients in nearly all types of business immigration matters with a focus on healthcare, commerce and industry, and academia. Catherine, Mark, good morning.
1: Good morning, and thank you.
0: Good morning. Catherine, let's start with you. Just what is H-1B status?
1: Well, H-1B status is a work authorized status for a professional level worker. It requires a U.S. employer, which is known as the petitioner, to sponsor the worker. And U.S. employers use this status to gain the talent that they need, agreeing to pay no less than the higher of the actual wage that they pay to other similar workers or the government's required wage for the job in the geographic area of employment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, the proffered position must require no less than a related bachelor's degree in order to perform the work in the specific specialty or can require the equivalent. Uh, And of course, the um, foreign national or beneficiary must have at least an appropriate U.S. bachelor's degree or higher degree or the equivalent for the job.
2: Mark, why is there an H-1B cap season? Well, the H-1B cap season is based on regulation. Uh, Federal government places a numerical limit on the number of employer petitions, for Mm -hmm. example, well, they have 65,000 new H1B visas per fiscal year under what's known as the regular cap that's for individuals with bachelor's degrees. They mm-hmm. also allow up to 20,000 advanced degree exemptions for beneficiaries with a US masters or higher from a US institution per fiscal year. Um, so we're looking at 3 milestones each year. October 1st is the start of the government's fiscal year. April 1st is the earliest date when CAP subject H 1B petitions by a company may be filed. And then October 1st is the start date when H 1B CAP subject petitions can uh, actually start. So sometimes they'll get approved before that, but April, October 1st is the start date when you can start on that H 1B. Hmm. Uh, Catherine, what is a CAP lottery? The
1: H 1B CAP lottery. Is a way for USCIS to select which cap subject employers may file their H-1B petitions in a particular fiscal year. Hmm. Uh, for and for fiscal year 2021, there were 269,194, almost 270,000 valid employer registrations for the 65,000 regular cap openings and the 20,000 advanced degree exemption spots so clearly not all employers will be selected and Mm. under the current system cap subject employers must register for the h1b cap lottery there is a window for registration and if an employer is selected in the lottery then there's another window during which the employer must file its h1b petition at at this time we're working with employers to analyze whether it makes sense for them to file or to register for the lottery, and if so, we're preparing for the registration.
0: Hmm. Mark, uh, does the H-1B cap apply to all US employers?
2: No, not all US employers are subject to the H-1B cap. There's exemptions for certain types of employers and situations. For example, most institutions of higher education are exempt. Um, Also, nonprofit entities, related to them, if they are connected or associated through shared ownership or control by the same board or federation. Often we'll see that with hospital systems. could mm. so be operated by an institution of higher education or attached to an institution of higher education as a member, branch, cooperative, or subsidiary. Uh, nonprofits must have a formal written affiliation agreement with an institution of higher education that establishes an active working relationship Um, together for the purpose of research or education. And lastly, the nonprofit's fundamental activity must directly contribute to the research or education mission of the institution of higher education. Hmm. Catherine, who can petition for an H-1B visa?
1: Just about any U.S. employer can sponsor an individual for H-1B status. Basically, the petitioner must be a U.S. company a person, firm, corporation, or contractor in the U.S. with a federal employer identification number, or FEIN, and with sufficient finances and a willingness to pay the required wage to the worker, and with a job opening in a specialty occupation, and and that means, or an occupation that requires the theoretical and practical application of a body of highly specialized knowledge Along with a US bachelor's degree or higher or equivalent. Um, There must, and there must also be an employer employee relationship in the traditional employment law sense. In other words, the employer must have the authority to pay, hire, um, fire, supervise, and otherwise control the work of the employee, of the H 1B employee.
0: Mark, are there other basic (laughs) eligibility
2: criteria? Qualify as a specialty occupation, um, the position must meet one of several different criteria. First, a bachelor's or higher equivalent must be the normal minimum requirement for entry into the particular position. Um, second, it could be that a degree requirement is common to the industry in parallel positions among similar organizations. Uh, thirdly, the particular position may be so unique or complex that it can only be performed by an individual with a degree and then employer normally requires a degree or equivalent for the position. And fourth, the nature of the specific duties is so specialized and complex that knowledge required to perform the duties is usually associated with the attainment of a bachelor's or higher degree.
0: Hmm. Catherine, what qualifications must a foreign national have to even be considered as an H-1B beneficiary? The person sponsored
1: must have a US degree that's related to the job field, or they could possess the equivalent to the required U.S. degree. And this could be either through having an equivalent foreign degree, or by having a combination of education and progressively responsible experience in the field that equates to an appropriate U.S. bachelor's degree or higher degree in the specialty occupation.
0: Mark, are you seeing any recent case law uh, shaping how the program
2: is administered? Yes, we've seen a lot of case law under the past administration. Um, Several recent federal district court cases have issued opinions related to the denial of H-1B petitions, um, which have had the effect of being less restrictive. These courts held that the US abused its discretion in denying an H-1B petition um, indicating that based on the Department of Labor OOH occupational outlook, handbook that there was no specific speciality, specialty degree um, that must be obtained to enter the occupation. Hmm. Um, at the end of 2020, federal courts also struck down two of the Trump administration's restrictive internal interim uh, final rulings, IFRs that uh, proposed to significantly restrict H-1B visas, Department of Labor, uh, labor prevailing wage increases, and those came back for a short period and it's gonna time tell, time's gonna only tell when um, the Biden administration um, will do with a lot of those regulations under the Trump administration and also what the uh, Trump administration was doing um, previously for H-1Bs. Catherine, what else can
0: you tell us about H-1B status?
1: Well, H-1B status is a non-immigrant status, which basically just means it's a temporary status. The work authorization for an H-1B worker is incident to status. And that means that the worker doesn't need anything other than the I-94 record. Um, They don't need a separate work authorization to prove that they're authorized to work in the U.S. The duration of H-1B status is up to three years at a time with a general limit of six years overall. And just to be clear, green card sponsorship is separate. And so is an application for US citizenship.
0: Hmm. Mark, how is the H-1B different from other temporary status visas?
2: Well, there's a number of other visa categories that can be used as an alternative. Um, often we'll look at those to see, instead of doing the H-1B, especially ones where there are no category caps or how many you can do. So. L1 is uh, an example that's an intercompany transfer. They're an L1A or an L1B, um, which L1As are for managers and executives, and L1Bs are for people with specialized knowledge. H1B1 is also um, an alternative that's for beneficiaries from Chile and Singapore. There are caps on those, but there aren't that many that are ever filed um, under H1B1s. Mm-hmm. E1s and E2s are also um, alternatives to doing an H1B, and those are for nationals of a treaty country, so the, the there has to be a treaty involved, and that's usually for executives or managers. E3 is um, similar to the H1B1, but that's for Australians specifically, um, and that's also a, a category that we'll often look at if somebody is Australian. Um, B ones are still able to be used. that's temporary six month coming here for a business conference or negotiating contracts. And then another one that we often will try to use is the o one and that's for workers that have extraordinary ability or achievement in uh, business or the arts or some other type of um, type of visa mm-hmm. industry.
0: Catherine, looking ahead, do you expect any changes to the selection process for employer registrations?
1: Yes. Uh, March 9th is the effective date for changes that USCIS recently proposed to the cap selection process. If that rule takes effect, there will be a change in the lottery or random selection process that will favor employers that can pay the highest wage levels for the job in the geographic location. And Hmm. and as we know, the administration just changed. Uh, So we may see a possible 60-day pause until at least May uh, through administrative action, uh, possible rulemaking, or litigation. But at this point, we don't know for sure whether that change in selection process will take effect.
2: And we think we'll see a continuation of the employer electronic registration. Last year was the first time for that. And it seemed to go fairly well as far as with the random electronic selection lottery. And they actually ran it twice that they did not get enough in the first time. So um, we see another, um, the registration continue as it did last year.
0: Catherine, any last thoughts?
1: Uh, Yes. If the timings are as they were last year, the employer registration period will be in March, with selection of employers who win the lottery announced before the end of March. Then the earliest date when a selected employer can actually file an H-1B petition would be April 1st. Now, last year, there was a 90-day filing window. so. Um, Well, now is the time when employers should be preparing. And due to these proposed changes, the preliminary analysis before registration may be a little bit more involved. And so we will certainly want to hear from um, clients and people who need our services as soon as we can to make sure that we can give attention to their needs.
0: Well, thank you, Catherine and Mark. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Listeners, to confidentially discuss your organization's need for talent using the H-1B process, or to learn more about the significant case law in this area, or to receive a copy of the slide deck from their recent webinar, please contact Catherine Wadwani at 412-394-5540 or at cwadwani, that's C-W-A-D-H-W-A-N-I, at foxrockfile.com. Or you may contact Mark Harley. He's at 412 391 2418, or at Mark uh, M. Harley, excuse me, M. Harley, that's M H A R L E Y, at FoxRothschild.com. For more uh, about our firm, please visit us, visit us on the web at www.foxrothschild.com.